encourage you to open your scriptures to John 14 this morning as we get back into the book of John over these next two weeks, and then we'll jump into Christmas. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. We did. My dad's in town. My in-laws are in town. And uh, we discovered that we sat around the table this, this year and talked about our ailments. Did any of you do that? You like talk, we were talking about how our, our eyes don't work anymore and everybody's passing around different glasses, you know. And, and I realized I graduated from the kids' table. I'm now up with the adults. We're thankful for so many things. I am thankful for a group that is going out from our church this weekend to Mexico. And many of you have made it possible. Yes, you can clap. Adam's excited. Um, Many of you have made it possible for us to build a house in Mexico. You've not only made it possible for us to do that and provide that for, for someone in need, which fits with part of our purpose here, but you made it so that those going out from amongst us are supported as well. And so I can't thank you enough, but let's commit that in prayer right now, shall we? That the Lord would utilize this offering, this gift, not just in financial capabilities, but in spiritual implication and for our own people that are serving. Let's commit this to prayer. Father, we thank You that Concord Bible Church is a church that is committed to reaching out, that is committed to Your Scripture, and that takes seriously that Your desire is that we care for the least of these. That in a season where we are to be focusing on Thanksgiving and we transition into focusing on you, somehow we lose track and it becomes to focusing on each other or ourselves through gift giving. And so we thank you that at this time, our church decides to set aside, to sacrifice, to give to someone else. We thank you for the endeavor that happened through um, Operation Christmas Child and, and, and how this church responded above and beyond my wildest dreams with 118 boxes going out to children around the world with the message of hope of Jesus Christ and some wonderful gifts to go with that. We pray over that as well. Thank you for a church that is concerned and lovingly reaches out to the world around us. Thank you for all those that have brought clothes for those in the Philippines that are in need. We pray for those that are uh, on the ground there that they are able to comfort, encourage in your name. And Lord, this morning as we examine your scripture, we ask that you lead our hearts and our minds and our souls and encourage us, lift us up, take us into a thought that goes beyond what we could muster, but that which you want to speak to each of us in your own individual way. Let your words speak clearly and in truth. To your glory, Father. Amen. Well, today, our sermon is titled, What's in a Name? What is in a name? And when I ask you certain things, we'll see how you respond. Ready? Let's just use cars. And you can react appropriately based off of the name that I give you. Mercedes. Oh, uh, Tesla. Oh, all right. We got some, yeah, we got some technology people over here. Tesla. I hope it doesn't catch on fire, though. And uh, for those of you that love your pastor and really appreciate the finer things in life, Pinto. 
that's usually the reaction we get from Pinto. Uh, let's go to authors. Kipling. All right. Twain. Mark, <laughs> we're giving out first names. That's fantastic. Uh, Assange. Uh, yeah, where's that first name? There you go. One of the great modern authors of our time. <laughs> how, about, how about Christian leaders? Augustine. Okay. Um, Graham. All right. Now, how many of you thought Billy Graham? How many of you thought Anne Graham Lutz? Come on, let's broaden our perspective, folks. Uh, Keller. Does anybody know who I'm talking about there? Keller. Yes, yeah, some of you know Keller. Fantastic. All right, let me run this by you. Buddha. Muhammad. Jesus. Out of all those names, they all mean something to us. And I would never assume that your response would be the same as mine. But when I say the name Jesus, there's something different compared to everything I had just listed. The name of Jesus holds something significant. And today we will explore the mystery and the power of the name of the Son of God. How many of you like naming something? Any of you named a street in a town? Or um, We were driving over to Cindy and Allen's over the hill. And, you know, there's about 18 different routes that you can take. And so one day we did the Kirker Pass to uh, Buchanan, I think. I, I don't remember. But as you're going along that route, all of a sudden there's a street name right in the middle of the street. It says Gentryville. And my daughter, I thought I was going to hit a cat or something. My daughter screamed. And, and it's like, what is it? There's a street name, named after me, which means there's a whole town named after me. No, she didn't get that too grandiose, but, you know, Gentryville. And so we took a picture of her with it. And it reminds me that when it came to naming our children, it was no great or easy task. How many of you struggled and, and had arguments over what to name your children? Or maybe an, a pet or a dog. When it came to our third, we couldn't decide. No, seriously, we couldn't decide. We went through seven volumes of those baby books. You know those baby books, right? We went through seven volumes of those with Jericho, and we came up with Jericho, which wasn't anywhere in those. So when it came to the daunting task of naming Gentry, I, w I was ready to concede. And actually, we had that name early on, and we, we kept going round and round and round. And after Gentry was born, she still didn't have a name. And the social workers started coming around. And she came around more often and kept cutting. And she's, finally she said, I can't let you out of here until you give a name to this child. So, uh, you know, we're still trying to figure it out. And, and I'd given up. So I started looking around the room and I'm like, Siemens, uh, Johnson & Johnson, Kaiser. No, that ain't going to go very well. And uh, so we kind of came back to, to Gentry, which was one that we had at first. And uh, maybe we just finally were so tired trying to find a name we... we but we love Gentry. And here's the thing, is that we agonize over naming someone, right? But if I were to say, Owen, which is the Strickland's, one of the Strickland's sons. And for some of us, we know Owen. Now, I know Owen because of him being in Awana and being around church, but I really know Owen. When I say the name Owen now, 
I'm thinking of a future NFL receiver. Because this kid stands about this tall, and at the Turkey Bowl on Friday, he wove through about 20 people and caught a 35-yard pass for a touchdown. And so when I hear the name Owen, now it has significance in my mind. Right? You see, we give significance to the name. The name doesn't give significance to us. And when we look at the name of Jesus Christ, we're going to find that there isn't any deviation from that whatsoever. What's in a name? We're going to be in Luke chapter 14, 1 through 14. Well, let's look at the name of Jesus this morning real quickly, and then we'll get into the text. It's a Hebrew name by nature. All right? Yeshua is, is the uh, proper name in Hebrew. The alliteration is Jesus for us. It's the same name as Joshua. How many of us knew that? How many of us never knew that? Fantastic. I've taught you something. We're done. Let's go home. Let's eat. It's the same name as Joshua, which means what? It means salvation. The name Jesus was dictated through the angel to Mary. You shall call his name Jesus. And so they knew from the Hebrew that that meant he will save his people. Now, when you put that into context to Joshua, you look back and you see how that worked. Jesus would be the Messiah. Often said as Yeshua. Christ is a title. It's not his last name, okay? Jesus Christ. Christ meaning anointed. It was again an Old Testament title and means the anointing of God. What's in a name? Well, let's read the scripture here. And, and then dive into it. The first point today is Jesus has the plan, the promise, and the provision. Let's read the first four verses and we'll start to dissect this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Or would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So let me give you some context to this, because we jumped. Where does He start? He starts with, let not your hearts be troubled. Who is He talking to? He's talking to the disciples. They're in the upper room. They're getting ready for the, the crucifixion events. They're about to enter over into the Garden of Gethsemane. Late, late, actually early, early morning. And now the events start to unfold at an exponential rate. Jesus starts to share with them that He's going to be leaving. And we'll see that in 13 as we come back to it in a few months. The disciples are distressed. They didn't have this as part of their plan. They didn't have this as part of their, their thought process. They're thinking of the promise of the Messiah. They believe that He is the Messiah. Yet their focus is kind of out of whack here. If Jesus leaves, who's going to provide for us? The disciples, in great theological terms, are wigging out. What happened just prior to Him saying this? He's washed their feet. He holds the Passover with them. He issues... In the new covenant, he predicts Judas's betrayal and he predicts Peter's betrayal. He has stated that he is leaving and the disciples are troubled. They are distraught. 
So what do we do with this? Well, Jesus has a plan for you and I, just like he did for the disciples. And we'll examine that right now. It's reflected in the comments to his disciples. Number one, you must believe. That's where he starts. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. This morning, my friends, are you distraught? Are you troubled? Are you saying, Jesus, where did you go? Then listen to his instruction because he gives us clear instruction. He gave the disciples clear instruction. He says what? He says, believe in God and believe also in me. That's where we start. When it comes to the name of Jesus, you must believe. The things and the promises that we're about to examine that Jesus offers, it starts with belief. You cannot ask for the promises of God. We talked about this last week. You cannot expect Jesus to continually give you, give you, give you without believing in His name. So what does that mean to believe in His name? We'll we'll define that out a little bit more. We also need to understand that He's preparing eternity for you and I. Did you see how He addressed the disciples? They're distraught. And He says, don't worry. Stop stressing. I have a plan. He's had this plan all along. And that is that He's going to prepare a place for the disciples. He's going to prepare a place for you and I. And it's interesting that He chooses to use this way of communication to address their stress. You know, if Jesus came up to you tomorrow and He said, look, I know you're worried about this or you're worried about that or you've got this great burden, but you know what? In reality, in a few short years, you're going to be with me in heaven and you're not going to have to worry about it at all. How comforting would those words be for you? Well, let me just share with you He has said that. That is what you read right now. He has already prepared the place for you. Have you ever had to do that with a small child? Maybe you pulled a prank on them. Like, you really don't have any birthday gifts. I'm not saying that happened in our house, but maybe. And... uh, All of a sudden, they break out in tears, and you can't get those presents in front of them. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, I was just kidding. Here, look. Here it is. Here it is. And look, here's $20, too. Right? You know, it's almost like that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, stop. Relax. What's my ultimate trump card? Look, seriously. Yeah, I'm going away. But I'm going to send somebody that's going to walk... Walk this path with you. But in the end, if you think I'm leaving and we're not going to be reunited, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You ever had that person go in front of you and set up for where you're going? They're preparing for you. You don't feel abandoned by them. You feel privileged by them, don't you? Jesus has a plan. And under the name of Jesus, He has the authority and the power to do so. He's preparing eternity for you and I. Number three, He will return for us according to His plan. That's what He says, right? He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. Separation with someone that you love. To know that you'll be reunited with them soon is the comforting thought. 
And as we think about that, I pray that your heart says, as I'm separated from Christ, as we observe this morning, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me because I will be separate from you. In order to experience some of my grace and in order to experience relationship with me, you are going to have to remember what I've done. You're going to have to remember it. And so He's returning for us and that gives us great hope and understanding so that we don't have to be distressed. Jesus has a plan. He promises to return for us. Lastly, He has laid out the map to eternity. And He says what? You know the way. He has provided a way to be with Him for eternity. Do you know that way? The disciples did and they didn't. And let's get to that now. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Our second major point, verses 5-7. through Let's open that up and read it this morning. He says this, starting in verse 5, actually Thomas starts and he says this, Jesus said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And what's interesting is that we need to adjust our focal point. One of my daughters is getting into photography and she's learned the whole uh, expertise of depth of field. Where in the foreground you have something that's in focus. But in the background, if you're a good photographer, you have something that's connected in reference to what's in the foreground. But it's blurry. This is what our spiritual life looks like, my friends. To know the name of Jesus Christ is to have confidence of what's in the background. Thomas says, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, you've been looking at me the whole time. But see, what Thomas and the disciples had in the foreground was this image of the human Christ that every once in a while they would get glimpses into the, what? The background. That He's actually God. The challenge for you and I, and for Thomas, is to be able to bring everything into focus. And usually, if you're using point and shoot, everybody take, you know, now you're using your cameras, you kind of go to this thing of, of taking pictures just of the one thing that you want, and then sometimes you discover that there's something significant in that background, but you weren't, what, focusing on it. And all of a sudden you see that you have a little bit more meaning in your picture. Thomas needed meaning in his complete picture. Let's look at this. He is the way. Jesus says, I am the way. He is our path. He is our bridge and our transport to relationship with the Father. Thomas, you don't know the way. I am the way. Brothers and sisters, we don't know the way this morning to eternal life. Jesus is the way. By definition of His very name, He is the way. Is is an active part. It is not a passive. It's not I was. It's not, um, it's not this sense of entitlement. It is an active, fluid process. He is continually guiding you and I in relationship that culminates with arrival in a heavenly Disneyland, so to speak. He is the way. So Thomas says, I don't know the way. And Jesus says, 
I am the way. You've been looking at me the whole time. Bring it into focus. Secondly, he says he is the truth. Today, we live in a society that doesn't care so much about truth. We care about convenience. We care about what is relative truth, what is convenient truth to our particular situation at any given moment. My friends, if we would simply come back to the essence of what truth is, realign our lives to the very truth of who Jesus is, our lives would be in harmony. Our lives would be filled with peace. I dare say they would not be without challenge because that's what God has given to us in our time here. But we would be able to meet those challenges with peace, with wisdom, and with tranquility. If we simply came in proper alignment with the truth. Jesus says this, that He is the truth. Truth finds its origins in Jesus. Just the very name of Jesus gives definition to truth. When we went through that exercise at the beginning, precluding all, all, all the Scripture, remember I gave you a bunch of names of a bunch of things, and then we said the name of Jesus, and there was something significant. There was a hierarchy. Even though it was the last name I listed, it instantly went to the top because of truth. It is self-evident. He is the source of truth. He is the antithesis of dishonesty and falsehood. There's some cross-references here for you to write down if you want to examine those. Lastly, he says he is the life. He is the author, sustainer, and provider of life. He is the only source for eternal life. He is the enhancer of life. And yet so much of the time, my friends, when we take that focal point of who Jesus is, we often lose track of which life we want. We want to cram Jesus into the life that we want. Well, we've negated the way now. We've said our way versus His way. And that's what Thomas was doing. We've negated the truth. Because Jesus is God. And He says, believe in Me in order that you might know God. And I and the Father are one. You're going to see that in a minute. And Thomas is still saying, I, I don't get it. Because he had evacuated the truth. And now he says he is the life. But what must you and I and Thomas do to experience that life? We have to believe. It comes right back to belief. All of this by the power and the name of Jesus. Now I'm hard pressed to find a name that's more powerful than Jesus. But I did have an experience about eight or nine years ago. We were heading to a baseball game by a certain heavenly team that resides in Southern California that has just one of the most wonderful names in all of baseball. Sam loves it. Such a long name. It's multi-incorporated. Anyway, we were heading to the baseball game and we had uh, a, a couple that was on my staff with us and we were taking them to say thank you. And, and so, you know, one of the things about baseball is you pay for the game, then you have to pay for all the food, right? But beyond that, you have to pay for the what? The parking. And that just about kills you. So the thing is, around your stadium, you try to find those little areas that you can park at so that you get the best deal. Well, I wasn't going to go chintzy here. I, you know, we were treating some friends, and so I wanted to get as close as possible on one of those outlying parking lots without paying for, you know, my kid's college just to park in the stadium. And so we pull up to one of these places, a guy with like an orange vest. It's, it's like an industrial 
building area with parking and these guys just kind of take over these parking lots and they'll charge you $15 to park there. But that's cheaper than the 23 to park in the stadium. And so we pull up. And my wife loves it when I do this kind of stuff. And I just thought, hey, I'm just going to kind of joke around with this guy. And so I uh, roll down the window. And uh, he's standing there with just a ton of money. And, and uh, he says, $15, please. I don't know what compelled me, but I turned to him and I said, hey, uh, Bob said we could park back here. And he looks at me and he says, okay, what you want to do is you want to go around the corner to the right and uh, anything back there. I'm like, I turn around and everybody's just dying laughing in the car. How did I pull that off? And, and you know, I invoke the name of Bob. I can do that because he's not in the room. And, and look at the power. That was $15 of power right there. But that doesn't compare at all to what the name of Jesus can do. Amen? But it is a pretty good story. So if you ever need to park down there, you know, right across from the entrance of the stadium, just say, Bob, I couldn't in all good conscience take advantage of that. It, it was a great story, but I told him, look, I don't really know Bob. And, and he just started dying laughing. He's like, I should let you park for free just for guessing. And then he took my $15. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This morning, we need to bring that into focus. It's about His name. Jesus reminds us how in Him everything is planned, promised, and provided. Next, Jesus, He's of the Father, He's in the Father, and He's for the Father. Verses 8-10. through Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. So here we have another disciple that's just struggling. And if you haven't caught the commonality, that's you and I. How much of life, if we really assess it as those who say that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ and all that that means, do we surrender all of those benefits on a daily basis and just live under the scrutiny of this world? You see, the disciples were with Him Constantly. They lived with Him. It's been almost three years now. And yet, here's these two wonderful guys. And next up, you know, Thomas struck out swinging. Now Philip's up. And he does the same thing. And Jesus says, Philip, how do you not know Me? Jesus is of the Father. He came from the Father. He's pre-existent. Colossians 1 is a great, great illustration to that. Secondly, Jesus is in the Father. He's actively abiding within, or they're actively abiding within each other. And we see that in verse 10. Also in verse 10, Jesus is for the Father to carry out His will and work to men. So number one, He's of the Father. He came from the Father. He is of God. That sets up the name of Jesus as being significantly different than any other name in the world. Number two, He's in the Father, which means that it is an active, ongoing process. And that gives to Him authority. 
That what he is saying is that as you saw me, you see the Father. That's one of the things that you and I have to learn, friends. Is that as we try to find the significance of Jesus in our life, we can look to his life here on earth, his ministry, and we can see what it would be for God to walk daily with mankind. If you struggle as to how that looks in relationship, wait, I can't see, I can't touch Jesus. Where You talk about Jesus and relationship with Jesus. You know, you're, you're nuts, you're crazy. You go to the scriptures, you look at how he interacted with people and with men and what his plan was, what his promises were, what his provision is. And when you begin to see that, you see the Father, you see the attitude, you see the will of the Father, and you begin to know the Father through Jesus. That's the relationship that's here. It is active. It is ongoing. It is abiding. Jesus is for the Father. So not only is He actively working with the Father, and He only does what He does under the Father's authority, the Father has given Him instructions for you and I and for the disciples to do certain things, to carry out His will so the Father would be glorified in heaven. That as some of you minister, as we as a church have gone out and we've collected these baskets and these shoe boxes full of presents and we send them around the world to different people, to different children, the Father is glorified. We do it in whose name? In the name of Jesus Christ. Do you see how that works? The attention is given to God through the Son because the Son is all about... Even the very name of Jesus is about giving glory to the Father. And so now that He is not here, Jesus works through us. And by the name of Jesus Christ, we do our works, which now give what? Glory to the Father. We now are carrying out the work of Christ. And that's what Jesus says here. Because He says, there will be some of you that do greater things than I have done in the name of the Father. The work will continue under my name. The work will continue under my name. What's in the name? Last point. Jesus will do it, design it, and designate it. Verses 12 through 14. Let's look at this. This is fascinating. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the... Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Yes, Pastor, we finally hit it. This is fantastic. Anything, I just simply need to ask, and He will what? There's a promise here. Did you catch it? Bring it into that foreground. Get it out of the background. And what is it? If you ask, He's going to what? He's going to do it. Jesus' words, not mine. Well, let's obviously examine this and tear it apart a little bit different. If you want something from Jesus, you have to what? Believe in Him. Now the question is this, and I shared this a little bit with you last week, is that I know people who don't believe in Jesus, and they actually say specifically, I do not believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of that. And then when someone in the family gets sick, they ask for prayer, and this person tells them, oh yeah, absolutely, I'll be praying for you. And I'm thinking, who are you praying to? I don't understand that. I don't get that. And, and that leads to the next step is simply this. Many of us call upon the name of the Lord to do this, that, or the other because we're in need, but we refuse to what? To believe in Him. Do not expect this promise to come true 
if you do not know what it means to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Understood? You can't ask for all... Now, I will tell you that God's common grace can come upon any individual at any point in time to lead them into belief. But this is a different thing. When you ask, you ask as a child to a parent. You ask as someone who has preconditioned relationship. That's where this promise is cemented. If you want something from Jesus, you have to believe in Him and He will do it. If you believe, He promises to what? To do it. Next, if you believe in Him, you will ask what? According to His design. If I come to my dad and I say, Hey dad, you know, I, uh, I, I have no idea what I would ask you that, that would prompt this. But let's say that I, I oh, I, maybe this. I come to him as a 16 year old and I say, Hey dad, um, you know, you love me. I know you love me. And so I want a motorcycle. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I know why I get that no. And so because I already know in a preclusionary level, it's because I have relationship with Him. I know what He's going to say according to His will and His desires for my life. Does that start to help you make sense of this? That if you're going to ask anything in the name of God or in the name of Jesus Christ, you must have, number one, relationship with Him, and that means to believe in Him. And by so doing, it will guide what you ask for. Now, does that mean that you have to ask for simple things? No. Jesus says, we will do greater things than what He did, because those fit in line with His will and bring glory to the Father. If you believe, He will designate you to do great things for the glory of Jesus so that men might believe. Ephesians 2.10 says that He's marked out things for you and I to do before the creation of the world so that we might what? We might bring glory to the Father. Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, Matthew 5.16. The whole section about the city on the hill and, and the salt of the earth. And it says, you will be the light. Let your light so shine before men so that they may give glory to the Father or your Father who is in heaven. This did not change just because Jesus left. But when we ask in Jesus' name, if I'm going to go to the motorcycle dealer and I'm going to say, hey, my dad said that I could have this Honda, you know, uh, uh, whatever. I, I so don't even think I'm ever going to get a motorcycle. I don't even name him for one. And the dealer says, yeah, I know your dad, and no. He ain't going to give it to you, so don't even try. That's what shapes what Jesus is saying here. Now, there will be times where Jesus says, you want to go to college, Jeremy? Go. Well, Jesus, that costs a whole lot more than a motorcycle. And I don't have that. Yeah, but I want you to go to college. I want to train you so that you're able to stand and be my witness and to preach to people. That's what I have marked out for you. 
So I'm going to provide for you above and beyond. And yes, you can ask for it. And multiple times, He's given above and beyond what we ever could dream. Greater things? Absolutely. Absolutely. In the name of Jesus. Not in my name. Not in other people's names. But in the name of Jesus. It happens. Greater things. As we close this morning, what's in a name? The name of Jesus, it is the name above all names. The name under heaven which every knee will bow. The name that makes the demons shudder. The name that heals. The name that saves. The name of Jesus isn't cheap. It carries weight and yet it frees the sinner to rise above the shackles of guilt and pain. It is the only name that by it and by its very utterance it can change lives. You know, Gentry's name has reached far and wide in her 12 years on earth. Many of you get a picture of my daughter. Some of you get some pictures that we can't look at. Some of you get pictures that are great. Some of you, you know, she has lived life with many of you. But it hasn't quite reached the significance of the name of Jesus. Nor will it. Because the name of Jesus has changed lives. And it's given power to others to change lives. What does a name mean to you? Can I encourage you, abide in the name above all names. Let me close in prayer this morning. And as I do so, I'm going to ask the men to prepare for the offering. And I would encourage you, if you are here today, and you're saying, Pastor... That was just a great job. You hit it out of the park. That was such a great sermon. That was phenomenal. Bless you. The offering plate's coming through in a minute. You know, feel free. But that means nothing. If you miss the point that under the name of Jesus, He may have been speaking to you this morning. That when you see God do something through you, don't fail to give credit to the name of Jesus rather than take that glory for yourself. That when you are alone and you're scared and there is no answer, you call upon the name of Jesus. This week I went to visit someone that's in a mental ward. And just because of schedule, I didn't actually get to speak to them. But as I was walking in, there was a family in a courtyard having kind of an intervention. And it was extremely emotional. And as I was told I couldn't visit this person, I had to wait till their appointment with the doctor. I sat in the lobby and one of the individuals, just completely weeping, walked past me. As I finished there and, and left, as I'm walking out, and that was a gal, as I'm walking out, sitting to my left on a bench, is a young man just weeping. And you know, it's the name of Jesus that can reach those individuals. It's the name of Jesus that can bring comfort to the brokenhearted. It's the name of Jesus that gives hope to the hopeless. So hold the name of Jesus high.
It is the way, it is the truth, it is the life. And proclaim it. Proclaim it. Let me pray over the offering this morning. Father, there is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. It is the name of Your Son. And because of His faithfulness to You, He has given significance to that name that when I think of the name of Jesus, I may know by its very definition, by its root, by its etymology, Lord, that it means save us or salvation. But I don't think in those terms, Lord. I, I, I don't think in a, in a diction sort of term. I think in reality. I think about my own life. I think about how He actively is saving me from myself, from the world around me, but how He significantly and eternally saved me through His work on the cross. And because of my faith in that, I have relationship with the name above all names. I ask that Your Holy Spirit would reach to our hearts this morning and encourage us to hold high the name of Jesus Christ. To bring glory to it. And that for those of us yet who have to believe, let us simply test the name of Jesus. Let us not sit idly by and read it as some byline. Just like any other name. Father, use this gift. Use this extension of offering of love and worship to You for Your glory. Use it according to the name, the powerful name of Jesus. To Your glory, Father. Amen.